Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The whole area of customer complaints Mm -hmm. is built around this loss aversion. Yeah. Because it's built around, I didn't get what I thought I was meant to get. Yep. And therefore, I feel I have lost this. It wasn't a very good one. Notice what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I noticed what you did there, which was just play the odds. talk to firms about loss aversion and they say, well, that probably works for other types of offerings, but for us, we don't want to go negative. We don't want to emphasize the negative for our customers. Hi, this is Colin, and I wanted to ask you a favor. It would really help Ryan and I if you could spend a moment and complete a review of the podcast. Positive reviews help us get out to more people, and we love hearing from our listeners and seeing what people have written. So please, just take a moment and complete a review. Thanks very much for your help. So Ryan, recently we changed our uh, subscription to SurveyMonkey. I presume you know what SurveyMonkey is. Yes. Um, We basically changed the subscription to... This is uh, is a subscription service where you rent monkeys that are delivered to the house. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but you can count how many they are. That's the survey part. Oh, that's nice. I know I know you like counting monkeys. This is a, this is a survey software, online web survey yeah, software. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, been going for a number of years. Although that idea about renting monkeys, that's gold, Colin. You should, <laughs> you should look into that. That's... Yeah, we're going to patent that idea. Yeah, yeah rent a monkey. I can see it now. Uh, the um, Maybe that's the reason why you're in academia, right? <laughs> My ideas are too powerful for the marketplace. They They need to cloister me. Anyway, (laughs) back to the beginning. We were downgrading the subscription, and I won't bore you with a whole whole bit of it. One of the things that, that happened as I was downgrading the subscription was it basically said, if you downgrade the subscription you are going to lose yeah. all of this functionality. Yeah. And not only did they tell me what the functionality that I was going to lose was, but A, it was written in red, <laughs> and B, I then had to check all the boxes <laughs> yeah, to confirm that I understood what I was doing. <laughs> okay? And I thought to myself, yeah, this is actually a really good illustration of loss aversion. Yes. And in our new series of the 10 most effective ways to influence your customer's behavior, we're going to be doing one of these every month or something like that. This is the number two, second one that we've done in this series. So we're going to talk today about loss aversion. Mm -hmm. So was that a good example of loss aversion? It was a great example. Yeah. Loss aversion is this general idea, kind of first articulated by 
Kahneman and Tversky. Uh, Kahneman, of course, went on to win the Nobel Prize in economics in part for this idea. It's the idea that losses loom larger than gains is the way that it's phrased. So if I give you $10, that feels good. Do you like that? If I take $10 away from you, that feels way worse than getting $10 felt good. Like just the, the magnitude of losses is, is larger emotionally, psychologically than gains are. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this feels like this is the whole of the insurance industry is based upon this. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of it is, yeah. And you can understand why. I mean, a lot of insurance is protecting against loss. And so if we can emphasize the losses and get you to think about what you would lose out on, that tends to be really motivational. Yeah. And and it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, again, it's the, it's the negative side of this. So it goes back to what we've talked about before, which is human nature tends to look out for negative things what was that was it a negative bias or something we we i can't remember we did a there is a negativity this. bias yeah i can't negativity remember if bias. we've if we've yeah, done I think a we podcast did episode on that or not probably i think we've covered almost everything at this point it wasn't a very good one notice <laughs> what i did there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i noticed what you did there which was just play the odds we don't do good stuff very often colin so you were not informing anyone of anything um yeah so i mean lost version we wanted to put this early on in our kind of review series on persuasion because lost version is one of the most reliable things i know of in human psychology this is seems to be really fundamental and really important uh, and it influences a lot of stuff now where this gets to be especially interesting from a, a customer experience or a marketing standpoint is there are lots of things that could reasonably and truthfully and accurately be portrayed in either a positive light or a negative light. And so how you frame this actually is a choice in many cases. And so how you choose to communicate stuff can be influenced by whether you frame it in terms of losses or frame it in terms of gains. And uh, and so you need to be sensitive to this and make your choices accordingly. And again, just to, to reiterate to people, um, because you've just used the word there and virtually as a throwaway line about framing. Framing is another massive area, isn't it? Yes. It, you know, which is effectively, do you turn around and say, 20% of people like this or 20% of people, you know. Or 80% of people don't like it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, which way is the same thing, but which way do you frame it, basically? Exactly. So, yes, to, to your point, and it was, I'm glad you raised it, framing is describing something in two ways that are objectively equivalent, but that, that have different meaning because they emphasize different types of information. And so gain-loss framing is one example of framing. There are others that we've talked about in the podcast before, and I'm sure we'll talk about again. It's a really important one. So let me give you an example of gain-loss framing in a marketing context. So yep. this was actually a field experiment run by academics with a bank. Um, I believe it was in Israel at the time. Uh, but th this was, they were trying to get convince customers to stop using cash so much and to start using debit cards instead. So this was several years ago. And they they sent out mailers to all of their customers and they, they randomly assigned them to one of two conditions. In one condition, they emphasized all the gains that people would get from switching from cash to debit cards. So things like you'll be able to, to track your 
purchases better and you know you'll you'll have um, protection against certain types of fraud in the other version of the letter they communicated exactly the same information but they framed it in terms of losses so if you don't switch from cash to a debit card you won't be able to track your purchases and you won't be protected from this kind of fraud this is the same thing that survey monkey was doing to you they were they were yes. framing the switch in terms of all the things you would lose out on Yes. And because this was randomly assigned to conditions, they were able to conduct a really powerful experiment. And it showed that there was just this huge whopping difference where when you communicated in terms of the losses, people were much more persuaded by that, were much more likely to actually change their behavior and start using the debit cards than if you communicated exactly the same information in terms of gains instead. So let me talk about an example, Ryan, of, of something that's ha been happening to me recently where sort of loss aversion comes in. Because one of the things I'm trying to do with these, or we're trying to do with these uh, series, is to think of some practical examples. I've been buying some health insurance mm -hmm. in the States. Mm -hmm. And you know what fun that is. Yes. Yeah. Love it. It is just a nightmare, yeah. you know, because you're obviously comparing. Well, this is the price, but this is the deductible. This is the copay. This is the out of pocket. Yeah. And there seems to be like 50 million variants of all that stuff. But it made me think the other day of what we're actually trying to decide is the thing that we want to lose the least. Yeah. Yeah. Is it that the deductible is the most important thing? Is it that actually it's going into an emergency room and therefore, you know, I don't know if you bought healthcare recently, but that you're going to be charged this if you actually end up going into an emergency room. So it's like, well, which is the most important thing to lose? Or is it just the monthly payments that you're going to have to make or whatever it may be? So which of those things, and they're clearly, for me, what that insurance company are doing or what they're all doing is they're trying to clearly appeal to different segments of the market, which require different levels of, of loss to them. Do, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And what is considered a loss and what is considered a gain will also be a function of, I mean, how it's communicated. We've given several examples of that, but then also what people's reference points are. So yeah. for example, if you currently have insurance coverage that you know covers emergency room care in a certain way, then a different insurance package that covers it in any way that's less than what you have will be processed by you as a loss, right? So now yeah. giving something up. If you were buying insurance for the first time, then all of those different types of coverages might be viewed by you as gains because it's better than what you've got now, which is nothing. But if sure. you had any reference point for what to expect here, then anything less than that is going to be a loss. Absolutely. And, the, uh, and again, the other interesting part is that obviously it changes by circumstances and over a period of time. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. the conversations I've been having have clearly been also affected by COVID and all the mm -hmm. rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and since so, you took up uh, street fighting as a hobby, correct. obviously you're thinking about this differently now too. I absolutely. only do it part-time though. Well, no, I mean, you've got a job. <laughs> Bare knuckle fighting. That's right. It's good, yeah. in, good income. Colin's got rage issues that he just needs to get out somehow. How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? 
What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. The key message there is A, losses are really, really important and drive a lot of behavior. Yes. But B, you've really got to find out the effect of those losses. So, I mean, if we just carry on talking healthcare for a moment, healthcare to a 62 year old or 65 year old, whatever, and somebody who's 22 or 25, that loss is going to be very different, isn't it? Yes. Their, their perception of loss is going to be very different. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, especially for healthcare. So one principle that we want to emphasize for people as they're thinking about loss aversion is losses and gains are oftentimes dependent on people's reference points. So yeah. something that is objectively a gain can seem like a loss if people were expecting more. Right? I, I like to explain to people that exactly the same experience at a Motel 6 could be viewed as a gain and as a loss if you had exactly the same experience at a Four Seasons because you have different yeah. expectations. And you said something exceptionally important there for me, mate. Which is? Uh, well, hello, actually. No. Um, the <laughs> That was important you, to you? You thought I was going to ignore you again during this podcast? <laughs> Every third or fourth podcast, Ryan says nothing. And it, it's just really hard. Yeah, it does. I have to talk a lot. <laughs> no, the key word that you, you said there for me was expect. Yes. Okay. So for me, the whole area of customer complaints mm-hmm. is built around this loss aversion. Yeah, because it's built around, I didn't get what I thought I was meant to get. Yep. And therefore, I feel I have lost this. Yeah. So it's either in the product or the service, you know, I bought this, I thought it was going to do this, and it doesn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or in the way that I've been treated, I expected that I would be treated in this way. And I wasn't. So mm-hmm. it's always, you know, for me, that whole area of loss aversion is is minus something. You know, it's I expected this and I didn't get it. So for me, that whole area of customer complaints and stuff like that is rooted in this loss aversion and people not getting what they thought that they should. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, gains and losses are relative to something. Sometimes you are in a position to define that. So, you know, we've talked about these these framing examples. That's an instance where you can communicate in terms of gains or losses. But you also need to think about it in terms of people's expectations or their reference points. What are they what are they bringing to the table in this interaction? And if they're expecting something more than what you're giving them, they will process that as a loss and they will experience loss aversion by doing so. I know this is all part of also a part of prospect theory as well. Yes. Do you want to just sort of put that into context? Sure. So prospect theory is a theory that was developed by uh, Kahneman and Tversky in the 1970s. It, it's one of the more influential theories in all of decision sciences. And this is 
like one, I don't know, maybe one fourth of the overall prospect theory is loss aversion. We've mentioned it independently because it is just so important on its own, but it is part of kind of a, a larger theory of decision-making that's not strictly based in, in assumptions that people are rational and they're making all their decisions rationally. So the idea of loss versions pretty straightforward. It, it can be pretty intuitive for people. Once it's explained to them, most people react like, oh yeah, I understand that. Like I, I feel that way too. I, I've been in those situations. I have seen though where people misunderstand loss aversion as they try to apply it. So one mistake that I've seen people make is that they think loss aversion means being negative, right? So right. I've, I've talked to firms about loss aversion and they say, well, that probably works for other types of offerings. But, you know, for us, we don't, we don't want to go negative. We don't want to emphasize the negative for our customers. And loss aversion is not that. So you don't need to be negative in order to benefit from loss aversion or in order to take loss aversion into account. So there are fear appeals. That's a real thing. There is negative advertising. That's a real thing. And those might work in some circumstances. But loss aversion, think about it in terms of just being a mode of communication. So you're emphasizing the same information in a way that communicates what people will lose if they don't take advantage of it instead of what they will gain if they do take advantage of it. And that doesn't necessarily mean trying to scare them, trying to promote a, a fear appeal. Yeah. Let me give you a recent uh, example, a recent manifestation of loss aversion. So I'm sure you've heard of FOMO. Colin. Yep. Fear so of missing out. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out is driven by loss aversion. So the idea is that we want to participate in something because right. if we don't, we're afraid we're going to miss uh, out. regret it. We're going to miss out. Nothing that anyone has ever done in the name of FOMO has ever turned out well. So no. you decide to go to the bar with your friends, not because you want to go to the bar with your friends, but because you're afraid of missing out on what would happen if you don't go. That never turns out well. You're never glad you ended up going to the bar. But we do it anyway because of loss aversion. The idea that we could gain an, an enjoyable evening at home alone reading a book is not as compelling as the fear of missing out on something by not being there. And so we choose to go in that direction. So let me give you an example of something that, that's been happening to me and see whether you think this fits into this loss aversion banner. Let's hear it. Have you ever heard of the social app called Clubhouse? I have heard of it, yes. Right. So I've recently joined Clubhouse, okay? And Do you want to explain way, it to people who are... Yeah, Clubhouse is a social app. It's an audio app. So... I can go into a, they call them rooms, and you could have 200 people in this room, 20 people in this room, and you've got a moderator and they're talking and then you can put your hand up and you can go up onto the, or they call it off, onto the stage, and you can talk and then people can ask questions and different stuff like that. So the way I guess in my mind I look at it is a bit like sort of Twitter, but verbal. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it described as interactive podcasts too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's another good way of describing it. Yeah, but you know, you can go and have a sort of a ma more mass informal conversation, and it's it's very good. And, and if anybody's on this listening to this, by the way, my handle is at Colin Shaw, all one word underscore CX. That's at Colin Shaw, all one word underscore CX. 
but it's really quite engaging and you learn a lot basically anyway let's this podcast isn't about clubhouse the point i'm trying to make is one of the things that i've noticed is that's driving me is to go i wonder if clubhouse is going to be the next big thing yeah yeah that i should be part of so that's sort of a bit of fear of missing out because there have been things where i've thought oh, i wish i'd have done that yep i really wish i'd have jumped on that bandwagon when that started off and i didn't and that sort of drives my behavior does that make sense i think it's a great example because a gain frame of that would be you know, I should join this because of the benefits that I'm going to get out of it. I think that it'll yes. be entertaining or informative, whatever it is. And a loss framing would be, I don't want to miss out on this if it happens to get big and popular and then I was left behind by not yes. doing it. I think that there are financial decisions that are driven by that, you know? So like, I want to gain by investing in Bitcoin, but more than that, I don't want to lose out and I don't want to not be one of these you know, instant millionaires several years from now because I didn't choose yeah. to get in now. Yeah, I think it's a great example. But the interesting thing is, and this goes back to what we've said many times, the danger is, is that what we've just articulated in looking at things separately. Whereas if I took Clubhouse, there's definitely part of me going, well, I don't want to miss out. But there's another part of me also going, actually, this is really quite valuable. So it's the combination of those two things that is making me engage i have to say i think it's more about it being valuable than it being i'm going to miss out now i'm sure with messaging and various different things like that that would influence my decision and the balance of those choices but the important part of what i was trying to get to is to say as usual it's never one thing that's right it's never just loss aversion or just intuitive and rational or just habitual processes and all, all that things it's a combination of those things well put yeah and as powerful as loss aversion is and, and like i say it's it's one of the most reliable and powerful things i know of in psychology it's also never lo just loss aversion yeah human behavior is going to be more complicated than that. So let's do our usual bit of, so what? So in other words, what what would we recommend? Great theories, but what does it actually mean in practicalities? What, what, do, what do people do? My advice would be to consider how you're framing things, because in general, there are very few neutral frames. You are already communicating information in some way. The question is, are you communicating in a way that benefits you and your organization and your customers? Or are you making these choices randomly? So if there's an opportunity to frame things in a way that emphasizes losses, research suggests that's going to be more persuasive. So there, yep. I mean, there's a famous example where they gave real doctors case studies and they framed the surgical outcomes as either being 5% chance of mortality or 95% chance of survival. And if it was framed in terms of losses, people were more likely, the doctors were more likely to avoid the recommending surgery. So it's not about being dumb. It's not about being uninformed. We just were kind of hardwired to react more strongly to uh, losses than to gains. And if you know that about people, 
then you should use it to your advantage. Absolutely. And for me, it's really interesting because as you go through all these things, you or as you have customer experiences, you see these things all over the place, basically. So for me, the bit of advice I would give people is definitely think about how you're framing things, but where to build it into the experience that you're giving customers. And again, recognizing that different customer groups will need different messages. And the third bit of advice is uh, just reiterate what I said a few minutes ago, which is there's never just one thing happening. There's a number of things happening. But we hope that's been of use. I'm now desperately trying to think of a uh, of a way that I could turn around and say, and if you don't tell people about what a wonderful podcast that the intuitive customer is, you're going to lose three million pounds. But that's probably not going to be the case. Um, no, they'll just because- regret it for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Oh, you, oh, I like the way you did that because yeah. that added in fear of missing out. There you go. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Look forward to talking to you next week, everyone. Cheers. Just as a reminder, please could you complete a review of the show and that would really help us. Thanks very much. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.